This month is June and I'm on tour. Philly, Toronto, Buffalo, Nashville, in July it's Atlanta, Phoenix. This week's episode, Mark Marin, go to birdbirdbird.com. Is the Birdcast. It's, uh, it's the fucking greatest. They got Garage Mahal too. Garage Mahal is by uh, Goldberg, the wrestler. Yeah. All right, let's see. Yeah, we're recording. Uh, so... Um, yeah, it's pretty nice. So they did this, like, and the agreement was that you would tape. Nope. Yeah, they, I'd tape a show. They'd tape a show in here. Right. So they came in and they took, uh, this was like a woodworking shop, and there was a door here that entered the garage over there. Yeah. And that was closed off. Right. And the backyard was a piece of, ra- like, sh- just a piece of shit. Right. And so they came in, opened that up, filled, like, put the TVs, the everything, wine refrigerator, humidor, kegerator. Kegerator's better on paper than it is in real life. Yeah, like, I don't know what I would need, and my space is not as big as this space. Well, you could, that was the thing, as they came in and they were like, so what, dream list, what do you want? And I was like, well, you know, it would be cool to have, and they're like, no, 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 not, not what would it be cool to have. We want your Christmas list. Like, tell right. us what you want. And I right. was like, and they were like, I mean, just put everything, and then we'll get everything we can. And I, I wrote, like, computers. Did they add the roof? Well, uh, yeah, the, 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 they built out, this was not, I mean, the roof was there, but they yeah. added... They built this out, and they put these structures up to hold it up. Like, my mine is really sh- sh- short. Yeah. Like, I guess I could ask them to make it a sound studio. Y- you could have, and they would have, in a heartbeat. No, oh, damn it. <laughs> Tom <that>? Rhodes. <laughs> What's he want? What's he want? Tom Rhodes. Uh, but, Tom? Uh, hey, Mark, how are you? Good, I'm sitting in my man cave with Mark, Mark Marin. Yeah. <laughs> are you, do you want to chat with Marin right now? Yeah, I'm chatting with Marin right now. What time do you want to do tonight? Uh, that's what I was calling about. So, um, yeah. what part of town do you live in? Uh, Valley Village. Oh, that's what, the 818? Yeah, that's the 818. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I'm in Culver yeah. City, so should we wait until traffic is finished? Or yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll give you a call when I get done. When I get done talking to Marin, I'll give you a call. We'll is figure that it all out. you need, Tom? Is the area code? Do you just need the area code, Tom? <laughs> is that enough information? Just the area code, Tom? I said, is that enough information? Just the area code? You're going to just take it from there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm in, uh, I'm in, I'm in Culver City, so eight one eight is the furthest. Do you need an address, Tom? You need an address. <laughs> All right, I'll call you when we get done, okay? okay. <laughs> All right, buddy. Drive around, you know, Bert. No, there's a car. Drive around, there's a car. I don't have to worry about it, Andrew. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> he fucking cracks me up. He's yeah. been in Europe way too long. What are you, in the 818? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? What you, does he need an address? The 818 is huge. Yeah, exactly. He's you know, yeah. just going to wander around the valley. Are you by the river? Yeah. <laughs> What's your proximity to the ocean? Yeah. How close are you to the ocean? Did you grow? Did you start with Tom? I met Tom in San Francisco, so I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't start with him, but when I moved to San Francisco in 92, he was sort of a fixture there, him and his hair specifically. They, they traveled together at that time. God, he had beautiful hair. Yeah, he seems to have lost the hair. He was, all, he was doing a very rock and roll kind of Jim Morrison thing. I remember his, his headshot was him sort of crouched down with his shirt open and his long hair, and yeah. that was uh, the thing, man. 
It was like, that's a little over-sexualized for a stand-up comedian headshot. <laughs> Where's the clown nature of that particular situation? <laughs> it's the same with Louis C.K. had that... that uh, the photo booth shot? Yeah, the photo booth shot where he, he looked like that. a serial killer. They're still around, those ones. I think I was, he still might use that occasionally. I know there's one at the comic strip. Yeah, yeah, where he blew up the... Uh, yeah, I remember that one. My my first headshot was me with several pairs of glasses on doing a sort of uh, John really? Lennon-y kind of thing. Really? Yeah. I'm like to... I had one down on the edge of my nose. And I had another, like sunglasses down the edge of my nose and my other glasses. <laughs> and I, might, I was doing this with my fingers on the top. I don't, I don't think I ever saw that headshot. Yeah, and then I had one with too many layers on that I took in San Francisco. And I don't, need to, I don't even know if I have a headshot now. I, I know there's a picture on my computer that people can print up. Do you know what's funny is, uh, is I... I identify with you when I watched, like I watched your special from ninety uh, five, probably. Yeah, when you, you were, were on had, like, sweating, and you, dressed in black. Yep, and you had yeah. like combat boots on. I think. Yeah, yeah, those were. I was not happy with those boots. A little too much heel. Ah, I fucking love. Oh, do you know what's so funny? Is I watched that and I went, I guarantee you, he looks at his what he's wearing the same way I look at what I'm wearing. Yeah, like that. I obsess about what I go on, what I look like when I go on stage. Yeah, I, well, I mean, those boots. I like those boots, but these. Uh, these Red Wings have a more practical heel. Those were Skechers, so the heel was like a two-inch heel, and I'm like, those aren't even near work boot. That, you know, that's <laughs> are, it's a riff on a work boot. It's a stupid... That's a Tom fashion. Cruise work boot yeah, with, yeah. A, with a lift. It, it bummed me out, but I, I wore them. I just did another special, and I'm fucking livid. Uh, it's gonna, you know, I'm editing it now, but like, it looks fine. I looked fine, but my shirt, they put a lav on me, a lav mic, yeah, and yeah, I was also yeah. using regular mic. It's lav. A lav, yeah, so that was pinned here. <laughs> The yeah. love mic, yeah. and it was pulling my shirt in. So, oh. and no one stopped it. So I'm looking at it, thinking like, "Oh, he fucked the whole thing is gonna <laughs> like it's folded in weird." Like it's it's not distracting, yeah. but for me, it was like, "You got to be fucking kidding! We're gonna drop another hundred fifty thousand dollars to do a retaping because." My lav is pulling my shirt under. I, I so how can it? How is it possible that we can be pulled out of our own specials on that special I did right there? I started sweating, and fifteen minutes in, the gray shirt started make it started showing up on the gray shirt, and I cannot watch that special without thinking everyone's going. Look at this fat fuck sweating through yeah, his shirt. That one you watched of mine, I'm covered in sweat, but I knew better to to just wear black. Yeah. So I wore all black because I sweat constantly. But there's a point where. They have a close-up of my face, and it's glistening. And then, like, you know, I, I, would, I had long hair, so I'd drop my head down and whip my hair back, and pieces are sticking to my forehead. Like Cat Stevens. Like Cat, Cat Stevens. Cat, uh, Cat. I don't know. Power, Williams. Cat Williams. Williams. Yeah. His hair sticks on his, on his face. From sweat? From sweat. But I, he didn't, it didn't pull me out of the special. Uh, I still like the special. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on some level, it's like, well, there, he's, he's working hard, I guess, or he's yeah. got a problem. He's nervous. Yeah. I don't sweat as much as I used to. Like, I don't sweat like that doing stand-up. If I put a guitar on in front of people, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, but you're, allowed to, you're allowed to sweat when you have a guitar in a weird way. Like, we'll, we'll allow our, our rock stars to sweat. Sure. The second comedian sweats, everyone goes, oh, he's fucking losing it. Flop sweat. Flop sweat. Flop sweat is real. But when In the underarms? No, I, anywhere. I mean, what, I've what had flop. What is flop sweat? Well, it's that, like, I've had it. I, I've had it recently. Flop sweat is really where, you know, you're tanking. I don't know when the last time you bomb was oh. where you're like, I'm, it's not going over well. And you kind of feel your body feel that. Your body just you kinda, changes temperatures. Yeah, you know, just, it just sort of like you just feel it. 
You know, the, the perspiration Miami. Uh, bubbles on your head. And it dripped onto a navy blue shirt. You did? It, yep, in Miami. this was Steve Trevino was featuring for me, and he was doing like a solid 40 because he was destroying. And so he was just like fucking feeling his oats, and I had to close the show. When was that? This is like two. This was uh, six and a half years ago. Ida wasn't born yet. Leanne was pregnant. She had come down to visit. Yeah. And uh, sweat dripped off my nose, onto my lip, off my chin, onto the shirt, and the crowd saw it, and you heard them go, oh. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than when a middle hands you your ass. That's the karma oh. you're going to have to take, because I'm sure you were that guy. Oh, I was, that's the reason I'm probably not buddies with Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah? Oh, really? <laughs> well, he was. I worked with the tell the week before, and, then I, and George had just been born, and I worked with Louis, and I was still young, and I, I really did believe that you would do so well that the club would say, we got to have you back as a headliner. Sure. Where can we book you? Sure. That just does not happen. The middle spot, that's the yeah. kick spot. You're like, I'm going to nail this I'm, shit. I got nothing to lose. It is like, it is like fucking shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, it's yeah. like dating 40-year-old women. Yeah. They, it's the easiest yeah. thing in the world. Yeah. So, uh, Except the middle spot you know, doesn't have a kid. You might have to deal with the <laughs> Or a uterus on, the, on, the, on a ledge of a building going, jump, jump, jump. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, and... and I remember Louis was in transition, and I'm speaking out of my ass, but I can tell you, I'm talking real right now. He was in transition from being the third guy to, to I hate my kids guy. To, yep, and uh, and it was not working as well as it works today. It was working, but it right. just wasn't working the way it was. And I remember, I remember thinking like, I remember, I never not having the insight to think maybe I should dial it back a little bit because he right. was working on shit, right? And I fucking you just handed him his ass. No, no, I definitely didn't hand him his ass, but I did really well. So did this kid Eric Myers, who's who's a little bit of a legend on the road. He'd be an interesting guy if you if you have on your show. He's just partied. It's a long story. I'll tell you about it later. But and so uh, Louis and I just didn't get along. And then he asked me. We were sitting in the green. Not didn't get along. We just right. didn't have a lot in common. And then he asked me about. Um, uh, Woody Allen. And I was like, eh, I'm not a big fan. And oh. he fucking was like, it was good talking to you. <laughs> well, he's not, he's not that easy. He's not that accessible, really, yeah. in general. He was nice. He was nice to me all weekend. And on the flight home, we were nice to each other. We, we hung out. We drove right. in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I remember those times where, where I was headlining and wasn't that strong. And you get these middle acts. And there was just not. There was one time where I was in, uh, it was in West Palm. The improv in West Palm, I think, uh, and that's what we replaced too, because the demographic of the people that come to that show, right? Like, when, if you are, if you do know how to play to that demographic, you can literally light that room on fire. Well, the thing was, is they just stuck me with a middle guy. It was a Latino act. He was mm-hmm. a fireman. I don't remember the guy's name. <laughs> All right, but like I was, and it was packed, and it's Florida, and I don't even, I don't know what's happening down oh. there. But he did his act, and then he did one of these, like sort of like you know, nine eleven was, you know, like. And you know, like just standing ovation kind of shit, and it was just a nightmare. And then you, night- and I was, and I was like, you know, do you have to fucking do the salute to the troops thing at the end? You know, I mean, I respect what's going on, and and I, I'm sure they appreciate your support, but you, you know, it's like it's a little, you know, you kill, and then it's like we lost a lot of our guys. I'm like, oh no, you know, like it's this really comedy club time, you know, you know, I, I, I like I got it. But it was like just killing. How about not the the <laughs> tear jerking yeah, ending? Yeah, how about not that? <laughs> and uh, it was a rough weekend. It was just oh. miserable. I don't like now. I don't think about it as much. Like I have a guy do twenty twenty five before me, and even if they're real strong, generally, you know, people there to see me, and it'll yeah. be all right. And even if he does do better than me on some level, laugh wise, I'm not even that freaked out about it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I know, I I got to a place where I once you start headlining and you realize Jesus, like. 
there are guys out there that are fucking funny. And then you get to a place where you're not, it doesn't really matter to you. Now I'm just like, I don't I give two shits. I don't watch anyone's act. I just do whatever I do. Yeah, really? It doesn't bother you at all? Not It'll anymore. bother me on a, on a short spot. Like if I got to do, if I'm working on shit and I got to do 15 minutes on a showcase and you got to follow somebody yeah. who destroys. Show, I like, haven't done a showcase that in so fucking long. Yeah, and you got to spend five minutes just sort of like, all right, let's, you know, I know the last guy took his pants off. Uh, what was the guy's <laughs> yes, name? Yes, it was Bobby Lee. And, and I, I know that... <laughs> I know he just showed you his stomach and turned it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably just left in the thong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Ralphie May one time. We were at the comedy store. This is back when I was like trying to get in there. Yeah. And Ralphie May uh, dropped the mic and it came off. It was in the original room. Yeah. Came off and then goes, give it a second. And I was like, I was standing. He was supposed to bring me up. Yeah. I go, he didn't bring me up. Not only that, he just went, thank you. Dropped the mic. Yeah. And then stood back and said, give it a second. And I was like, okay. And then he walked back out and did, did another 10 minutes. And I went. What I happened? Went, How'd you fall for that? I was like, motherfucker. Wasn't I supposed to go up? Yeah. No. Um, so he dropped the mic to a thunderous applause. Thunderous. And then it's sort of like encore time. Yeah. Then I'll bring you up. I've, 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 How'd I've you juggled, do that night? Not good. I've juggled my balls a couple <laughs> times following him where he just does, where he doesn't do the two and a half hour Ralphie. He does the 15 minute thunder Ralphie. And you just, it's like, it's like fucking following. It's like it's like uh god what was the <clears throat> someone was telling me a show where they they did uh they had to do 15 minutes after the headliner. I used to have to do that. But yeah. that's a fucking Oh, nightmare. like to, instead of dropping checks during the headliner set, the MC's got to go up and sort of Oh no, I used to do it with a guy where uh the host would go up and do 5, yeah. they'd do an hour yeah. and then I'd do 30. They get off and as soon as they got off checks got dropped and I did 30 after that. Yeah, I don't know. They're just killers out there. And, you know, I think that whatever part of me thought that was the way to do comedy at some other time where it's just sort of, yeah. you know, you got to kill, it went away. Well, the dialogue, the dialogue, <laughs> the dialogue changed in stand up. And I believe this to this day. Yeah. The dialogue's changed between the audience and the stand up in the fact that, and, and you're a, a huge part of this, but the podcasting has made it, has made the artist a lot more accessible to the fan. Right. Where now people go and I go on stage and they're like, tell the Will Smith story. Right. And I'm like, that's not really a stage story, but they're like, I don't give a shit. It's I funny. heard you tell it on WTF. Tell it now. It I brought my friends to hear that story, and you're like, oh, okay. And do you do it? Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Then you get laughs, right? It's a, it's a funny story, but it's like, yeah, but it's like. Why I, isn't it stand up? I, I, it's just not your idea of what stand up was. I mean, if you watch Bill Cosby, he's just telling stories. Yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just somehow we got into this mode where either you're going to be this joke, you know, either you're going to ride them. And keep hitting and keep hitting and keep hitting. I mean, I have that skill. I, I know that I used to do it. Yeah. And it used to be essential. Like, this first one better, I better land that first joke. And then I better follow it and keep pushing and keep pushing. Everything has got to be laugh efficient. And there are great comics that do that. And arguably, the better comics do that. But for me, I'm, I, I want something else out of it. I'm yeah. not sure. You know, I think I can be compelling and entertaining and funny. As opposed to just sort of like, oh, my God, it's a tornado of laughs. Well, you also do it sober. Yeah. Which I think sometimes... You're not doing it well, sober? I'm, I'm not. Or I, I, I've, I've, I've been doing it... I, I, my first shows are always sober. My second show is just... It's like this... Uh, it's like... Uh, it's, it's stuff that would send people to therapy. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. You've created a larger-than-life persona that you have to live up to. And then... and then, But I, yeah, you just do shots. And then you get these really great long sets at the end of the, like the late show. And you're drinking. But you don't... You get off stage and you end up depressed the next morning because like, was that good? Like, was that as I good as I could have I used to get that done? when I was when I'd smoke a lot of weed. 
where you know you were getting such a kick out of yourself. Yeah. Where you just sit there and be, you're doing half baked things, and I'll still do some half baked shit, but but like you 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 just think that just they're laughing just because your stoned demeanor and juice. Oh. You know, you just get you're entertaining yourself, and they're kind of laughing with you, and then you walk off, and you think like I didn't say anything. I think I just was laughing at my dumb premises, and they were just laughing because they thought I was having a good time. Is that a show? Sure, why not? Did they buy you this couch too? No, we did. Oh, okay. <laughs> we uh, yeah, I have a story about watching two horses fuck that makes me laugh hysterically. That I'll t- I, that I've told on stage, and and then I get done, and I don't think people have understood a word I've said. I'm just giggling. I just. <laughs> <laughs> well, two like horses in heat. That's a that's a rough thing. Though. Oh, it was during an animal pi- panel, Animal Planet pilot. Oh, really? And they we were not supposed to be doing that, but the guy saw it, this Mexican guy came out of a barn and he saw film crew. And he goes, "Hey, are you guys here to see two horses? Fuck!" <laughs> We were like, yes, we are. So we walk in, and the guy's stroking the horse's cock. No. Gotta get, I swear to God, I swear to God. And then they bring the horse, in, and my whole crew jumps on top of it. They start shooting it like they're fucking paid to shoot two horses. Fuck. <laughs> the sound guy's booming the female horse's vagina that's going, no. I swear to God. And I'm going, do we have audio on that? And then the horse hops up. I swear to God, three pumps. Gets off the whole animal planet. Everyone's there, our production crew, and I stand into the front of the tours. And I goes, "Turns out I do fuck like a stallion." <laughs> and we rapped, and I was like, "Someone give me the fucking." But I, like I, that fucking was one of the funniest shoots you have the we've tape? ever. No, <laughs> no. God, it would be such good footage too. We Why did sh- they give it to you? Uh, they it's stuff like that that just hits the cutting room floor and you never see again. Yeah, like I fought a bear. I don't even know where that footage is. You fought a real bear. Long time ago for hurt Bert. Yeah, yeah. And how was that? Was it a sad old uh, bear? No, it was. A, I think it was the bear that ended up killing his trainer. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you had to do uh, this thing where you, uh, so where you, you, fought, you successfully fought a murderer. I fought, yeah, well, I before the murder. Mm. Yeah, so it's a well, long now, story. Yeah, I'm not going to tell it on my podcast. I want, I'm, I want, I want to talk to you about you. Do you interview? Do you read about people before you do a, a WTF? Really. Usually what I'll do is I'll go to a couple of sources and try to get an idea of where they grew up. And, you know, I don't want to miss, like, my big problem is, like, I, I don't want to miss, like, oh, shit, I forgot to ask him about the Oscar. That seems important. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he's just in here and I didn't bring up that he cured cancer. That's, I didn't realize that. Uh, I didn't know he was that guy. That happens a lot. So it's more about the conversation. But I, so I somehow think that if I can get a sense of of how someone grew up or where they went to college and, you know, kind of where the gaps are in their career. I just want to have like whatever I think is a sense of what they went through so I can project onto them. Yeah. But like today I, I talked to Moon Zappa and I haven't seen her in a long time, but her and I knew each other years ago and you know, she's Frank Zappa's daughter. Fine. Yeah. But I'm not a huge Zappa head, but yeah. there's that issue. But you know, I didn't really know where it was going to go, but it turned out it was like a really great one because there was no real agenda and she hasn't really been doing that much. But she's a character, and she and we just ended up talking about divorce and yoga, and uh, it, it was fine as long as the conversation moves. Yeah. But there are people that have huge careers that I'm always insecure about interviewing, and I want to make sure it's very difficult when somebody's been doing something for thirty years, or if it's a musician that's had you know all these credits and shit, because you don't want to just go like, all right, that record that must have been fun, and you have with twelve records, so it just becomes tricky uh, of of what exactly to focus on. So. I just hope I know what's important about their life, sort of where they come from, and 
and kind of wing it. It's so funny because I'm not, I'm not a very good interviewer because I like talking about myself and I don't listen very well. I do that, but I listen pretty good. You're a better listener than I am because yeah. I, I was listening to you interview Billy Bragg. Yeah. And that was one yeah, of my I favorite really no ones. no choice but to listen. Well, he, but he, that was one of my favorite interviews he's done because um, it started off political. And I swear to God, I was like, I'm on a treadmill. Uh, and I'm and I'm like you're bumming I'm, out. I'm, I'm like fuck. If this is fucking political, political, in my head I'm like I go I'm like terrified because I know you like politics. But I'm in my head I'm like I'm like I'm like Mark's going to turn this around, <laughs> please. And then all of a sudden he started talking about his son, and I was like, oh, uh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. And then his dad, and I was like, what a great fucking. Is there a point in the interview where you, where you start getting chills? You're like, I'm doing it. Well, it, like I, I have a sense of where. You know, because talking about politics is very easy to avoid talking about anything else, yourself or anything. Like, like I, from years of talking about politics on the radio, there's just no real engagement there because it's a, it's an, you, you know, people, especially when you're someone like him who's set, you know, he's got an agenda politically. Yeah. And he knows what it is and he knows why he has it and he's informed about it. He knows what he's fighting against and he knows the nuances of the issues. So, and that's something he's done over and over again. Yeah. You know, th- that's, you know, that's his political life. But I know once you get into that, I start to crave like, uh, okay, yeah. 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 Like, because I know left-wing talking points and I know there's passion behind it, but it's not that interesting after a certain point because though he is, though the stories that he told about why he was political turned out to be great. Yeah. But I don't know if you, you remember that part or, you know, the first time he... Yeah, what about you, the gays? Yeah, and that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, that's good stuff because it's personal. Yeah. It's not just sort of like, oh, Thatcher and... You, you, well, you talking know. about the clash and talking about that, I, right. was like, I was like, okay, I can get tapped into that. Right. But when he was talking about... General like, I, politics. Yeah, I, I just start zoning out. I get really into like human parts of the right, story right and yeah. you know, and, and, and and i'm sensitive to that when i'm talking to somebody like we got to get out of here yeah you know and get back to you know to figure out who this guy is like i had that i recently interviewed tom york and it's uh, not up yet okay i was like oh how did i miss this one yeah but he started that way too because you know he's a, a lefty uh, british guy too and they were a lot more intimate around their issues politically you know they're not it's not the same there as it is here you know there still is a a sort of relatively vocal and and slightly organized left movement over there yeah. you know the uh, labor and, and and whatnot but you know so they're they're much tighter with it whereas in america like people usually react like you like i probably believe this stuff but oh i don't want to follow it you yeah, know yeah but he started with politics and i can certainly speak to that and i knew like well the, it's sort of a test and i think sort of with brag too it's like you know, I can keep up with this, and I know where he's coming from. Yeah. So if this is what it takes for me to engage with this guy, all right, let's do this, and then I'll move it somewhere. Yeah, I see you know, what you're like, Especially someone like Bragg, who's a talker, you, you basically you're just, just steering. That, then it's just steering. You know, it's just sort of like you look for your window, and I'm like, well, what about? And then you're like, okay, good. And then, <laughs> you know, you'll go over there. Right? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've been doing, you've, you've been doing like, uh, like I was, I was thinking today, I was like, I can't talk to Marin and not, Think about what I'm going to talk about, like because you're someone that thinks about. You definitely have a, an agenda when you speak to someone. You know where you want to drive it. You know where you want to go with it. You allow it to be what it is, but you don't. You don't just do what I do, which is I just sit in a room and I'm like, like so. Tell me, I do kind of. I, I, you know, I just want to at some point want to lock in. I want it to become like I'll listen, and it's just a matter of sort of like uh, I want it to become conversation. Is that who you've been your whole life, and then you were scared to show that to people? Listener, like yeah. No, I think what I was earlier on was that. Um, I think because, you know, if I'm going to track it psychologically, um, 
I think the, my father was very erratic and, and emotional and, and sort of charismatic and, and, and not that attentive. And I think throughout a lot of my life, I always sort of gravitated towards, you know, dudes who had a, you know, who were, you know, charismatic and had a good story, looked like they had a life, had could talk about things yeah. like, you know, kind of big, the big personalities. Guy. Well, no, no, he's just <laughs> not mystique, but guys who, had, who seemed to have, you know, big personalities. And I, you know, I, I used to, like I hung out with Kennison. There was a guy in high school that owned a bookstore that I was fascinated with. You know, guys that, you know, seemed to, you know, really have, a, you know, a, a magnetic personality. And yeah. I would lock into those kind of people. And I was very good at sort of getting sort of symbiotic with them because they entertained me and they made me feel alive. And I think I lost a lot of that, you know, doing comedy, just the ability to be entertained and engaged and let people have their story and laugh at it. And I think I got cynical doing stand-up for so long, and I kind of shut myself off to that. And I wasn't able to sort of enjoy other people's lives as much. And then as uh, the podcast started and as I, you know, things got shitty for me, I kind of needed to talk. And I somehow tapped back into who I was as a kid where it's sort of like, really? You know, that guy, did oh, that happen? Fascinating. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, completely. Like, no shit. You know, like I, I was like, you know, wow, that's a great story. And I'm able to laugh now. And like, like I honestly enjoy when people kind of lock in where I can lock in with someone's trip, you know what I yep. mean? And, and kind of get lost in it. Well, it was, you know, it's fascinating because you give the same amount of, and, and I'm not saying that everyone doesn't do this or everyone does do this, but you give the same amount of respect to someone say like as Billy Bragg, as you do, um, Kevin Christie. Oh yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah. Definitely. And it's like, and it's, it's neat to see, like, I, I'm not saying I would or I wouldn't. I'm just saying like, I definitely, like uh, there are people where I go, oh fuck yeah, and then there's people like I'm like, oh I hope this one works. You know? Oh yeah, no, I definitely get that. I definitely get that. I do that. That happens to me too. But like I'm all like I, I found that even with people that I'm in awe of, like recently, even with like someone like you know going to John Fogarty's house or sitting with Mel Brooks and shit, is that no matter what a fanboy I am, I have found that that dissipates fairly quickly because not that I'm not a fanboy anymore, but you sort of realize because of the medium and because of this proximity, like, that's just a dude. I yeah. mean, you know, no matter what he's accomplished, there's just a dude sitting here, you know, he's wearing underpants and, you know, he's doing something <laughs> with not. his hair and he's holding on. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but, you know, it, it, I don't I don't have the same, I don't feel the same way I used to with, with people that have stature. Like, I'm, I'm not that intimidated anymore. And, and I, it's very easy for me, like, it helps me just to see them as a person, as somebody who's, who's fragile and, and, and has, you know, a life and had breakfast. And you, you know what I mean? It, yeah. There's not that kind of like, I can't believe I'm talking to this guy. But you, but you did have this mystique as, and I'll just, I'll, I'll just broad stroke it as bad behavior, Mark. Yeah. Like you had this, when I started, I, I can't believe you weren't sober when I started, by the way, because I never thought that you partied. Like, I've, I feel like I've only known you sober. I was never a fun partier like you. Yeah. I, you know, I was not, you know, I embraced a lifestyle that, you know, like I was the, you know, I never went like, let's go, everybody, who's going with me? Yeah. I was sort of like, oh, I got my blow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad I have it in my pocket. You're not be the good guy that co- got the blow and dumped it upside for everyone. You were like, I got, I'm locked down for the night. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I got my bindle <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can probably string out a, a lot of drinks now and, uh, you know, hold my own and entertain myself, uh, you know, and, and, you know, hang out with a couple select people, but it was never a... So my partying was never – it was always sort of very intense. It yeah. wasn't like a party. Like <laughs> I, there was a couple – I can remember maybe one or two great nights of 
where the balance just sort of worked out for me. You know, like I remember one night in San Francisco, I wasn't even doing blow, but there were those nights of there were drunk nights where I'd be with one buddy. It was usually one dude or two dudes, you know, where we do some blow, we go do a thing, we'd end up at another place. And it's just the events that sort of define the evening kind of came together. It was like, that's a good night. But I was never like, yeah, that's why I think that uh, anytime partying got dark, like I remember one time we were at a house in Orlando and uh, there was big piles of party all over a table and someone pulled out a pistol and i yeah, remember yeah. being like i'm fucking out yeah yeah, like, yeah. I, that kind of that, that level of that always freaked me out and i was like, like well that well that was always the the fear was that i mean that's sort of an indication like i i believe that when you drink or do drugs that just by virtue of the situation that you're going to be entering in, in either of those states or for either of those things the, the the possibility of something going horribly wrong exponentially grows. I couldn't agree more. The, <laughs> yeah. Just the, like the other night, we had a brownie bridging, bridging ceremony, yeah. which is when the girls turn into brownies. Yeah. And all the dads were together, and I was like fucking big brain Bert. It was like, hey, let's go to a bar. So we go to Pat's yeah. like right across the street. Yeah. And the second we got in, I went, oh, this is where someone gets fucking arrested right. or beat up or stabbed. Right. And it go- I just rolled the dice on fucking something horrible happening. Yeah. And these are just dads at my school. Right. And we all show up in collared shirts yeah. in a fucking biker's bar in the valley. Right. Ugh, I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. It's a, it's a weird thing. But there, there are those moments where, that I've had those where you, especially when you're dealing with cocaine, where, you know, you're like after a show or something like, hey, let's go to my place. And then all of a sudden it's like, how far out is this place? Yeah. You know, you know all of a sudden you're in a car and like, where does this guy live, <laughs> dude? Yeah. And, how am I getting home? Or you're gay. Right. Yeah. Right, you know, and and you start to realize like, oh my god, like or just being in a hotel room with strangers, and you're like, Wh- whose friend is this? Or being at that house where you're, you're just with, you know, a guy who's a gaffer, you know, and some other dude who you know who was his friend, and then the dude that brought the shit, and you're like, who's that guy? Who are we yeah. waiting for? It was crazy. And you just and yeah, the gun on the table is a great example. It's like now the party starts, and you're like, no, now I got to go because yeah. I don't know where that's going. Immediately after that, never someone, goes anywhere good. Immediately after table. that, someone knocked on the door and they were like, "Hey, man, I heard you guys got some blow. Listen, here's the deal. Uh, I knew you guys in college, and I'm now spraying houses, and I'll spray the house for free if you guys see we're clear for a few bumps." And you're like, "What the fuck happened to this night? Like, yeah, yeah. like just the, nothing. Oh yeah, and you're yeah. like, I'm what fucking, happened was it yeah. got polluted with sadness and weird shit." <sighs> Thank God that was a long, like, that was such a life, it seemed like a lifetime ago, when you were like, oh, campfire by a lake, that sounds like a great idea. Oh, yeah. Now I look at it and I'm like, oh, someone's catching on fire. Yeah, no, some, like, there were dudes, like, when I was hanging out at the store where, you know, there was one night where some dude, you know, like, showed up, and uh, the next day we went, like, he went out to his car, and he was like, you know, I don't know how my car got wrecked. Like, he was in his car. Like, you're sitting with people. It's sort of like, I, I don't know what happened to my car. It's like, yeah. well, you fucking... So you drove into something, you idiot. It's like, I know. I can't put it together. I'm like, this is a problem. Is there this one's a little deeper than yeah, Right. And you just don't... like. I, I've said that before, where you're just sitting at a table, and you're like, well, someone's going to die, and I'm not sure it's not me. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. some, something. There's nothing good is going to come from this, eventually. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was never. Uh, why? When did I meet you? So you said I, I had I a reputation. And, uh, I was you, just a dick. No, but th- but it's you know what's so funny though is I feel like that like now I look back yeah. and I feel like that's the exception, not the rule. Right. Because like, that like 
I only know you as a nice person. Right. Like, I, I really have, I never experienced the one that, like, when I first started listening to WTF, I remember I got on a plane and it was uh, Stanhope and Janine Garofalo were the two, like, back to back. Right. And I was like, wow, this is, what the fuck is this? Like, I didn't understand podcasts really. Right. right. I'd, I'd heard of them, but I'd never heard a good one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then I listened to it and I was like, this is fucking engaging. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait till he puts out another. And then I, you did like three, and I was like, but you were apologizing to everyone. And I was like, that's so funny. The, when I met you, I think you were with your ex and you were doing that, never mind the Buzzcocks. Right. Cause you knew her. Yeah. Yeah. And you were on, my, you were on, never mind the Buzzcocks. And I, and then I came, in to do Nevermind the Buzzcocks and I was at the Comedy Cellar and you introduced me to Manny and you said he's a funny guy and I went in and did a set and then Manny passed me and he but I lived in LA so it was right pointless. right right but um but and then I hung out backstage in your green room at Nevermind the Buzzcocks right. because we knew a, a friend in common who worked on that show on what on that show yep who Daphne Brogdon oh yeah <laughs> that's right and I wanted dirt on yeah. it right I was like what is her story <laughs> And I had hosted a show with her for like a year. And you gave me some... What happened to her? She married the dude who owned... Uh, fuck, who used to do grilled cheese Thursday nights uh, over on La Brea? I don't know. Um, God, it's right next to La, the La, La Brea Bakery. It's yeah, the no restaurant. Idea. He owned, He was a big restauranteer. Oh, he mar- she married him? She married him, and I think they had a kid, and now they live over in... Uh, in uh, Hyde, uh, not Hyde Park, you know that area right next to there, uh, Hancock Park. Hancock Park. Yeah, I, well, yeah, but the thing is, it's like there are certain people that I've known for a long time. Like, there, like I have problems with very specific types of people. Like, if you really look at the people that I have problems with, I mean, I can't imagine anybody really is like Burt Kreischer. That guy's a fucking dick. Uh, it happens. Yeah, but but but, <laughs> but it, it was over. You, yeah, but there was a reason. Like you know, yeah. you, you weren't being yourself. It was a misunderstanding. Yeah. It's a misunderstanding, I right. think, always, yeah. Right. But, like, there are definitely people in my life that, like, they, you, you know, there's some people you meet where it's like, uh, this is not, him and I are not, this ain't going to happen. Yeah. Like, I don't know what his agenda, like, there's a vibe where it's like, all right, so you're going to try and outdick me? I'm a bigger dick than you. <laughs> and I can feel you pushing your dickness, you know, into my fucking dickness. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is going to be, this is going to be just like a dick war. Yeah. And... Because there's definitely people like that, and it's an ego thing. But like, there are certain people that I'm never going to be mean to. Like, and I don't know why that is. It's not a superiority thing or whatever. But like, I've never had a problem with you. I'm yeah. very, you know, you're a good guy and, and you're an entertaining guy. And also, you're not going to be the guy that's even going to register that I'm being a dick. You know, there, there's yeah. certain people that. Oh, I, I actually enjoy like, like when, when you get into not. It's not even a dick mode, but like when yeah. you like start making fun of me, I actually enjoy it. I enjoy it more than people listening. <laughs> like when we did that, what you want to call it thing, and I didn't, yeah. and I didn't realize you didn't blow out the menorah candles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you started going, "Are you a fucking moron?" And I was like, "I kind of am." <laughs> right now i really thought how do you just let a candle burn all night like that's so dangerous and neurotic jews how could they just like fire be in their house and be like eh, don't worry well, it's fine well, do we even talk about well you they don't take that long to burn down i mean they take a couple hours and you put foil down but i've 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 had to wait it out oh <laughs> I could never let a lit candle be on my fucking house. I put no. What, what I used to do. It's funny. The neurotic Jews. I mean, we didn't really cover that. I mean, I would put it in the sink. Like after I lit it, I, I'd be like, if we're gonna go, I don't think we can blow these out because then God will kill us or something. But let's just put it in the sink. It can't catch anything on fire in the sink. Uh, it's so 
funny. Tell that to Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Yeah. The, <laughs> she burned down Andre Ryzen's house by lighting us. She did? Oh, she threw some his shoes in the tub and lit them on fire. She goes, what's the, it's and the it tub? It down. Well, it's a plastic fucking tub. Uh, it's caught the house on fire. But, but yeah, but uh, the, the sort of... The dick, like I, there are people whose balls I can bust. And late, lately, since I don't have the heart of to do it as much as I used to, I always end up looking bad. Like I can't oh, win I a fucking so. fight. I like the. I think those like are... me and Pete Holmes or something like that. When we See, go at each other, me. There are guys that are like that are. I think our relationships are be- like Benson. I'm the same way with Benson. Like I'll say things to Benson and he'll laugh hysterically, yeah. and then he'll say something back. And if you don't know that I don't mind, that I enjoy it just as much as almost like as a fan of comedy, yeah. Like that, like I'll tell you one guy that did fucking really take it like a little too far one time with me one time, it, who I like and I've always thought like me, but I realized I don't think he likes me is Dom Herrera. I don't know where he really? just fucking. He's he he's, It's interesting because he's such like this weird cherubic Buddha kind of guy that's very funny. But you you don't like he's one of those guys where it's like I'm never you know because I bust his balls a lot and yeah. I always use the old joke like you know. But I know that as good as he is at buzzing balls, you know, especially with dudes that command respect and are older. Yeah, you gotta be careful. Yeah, <laughs> I said have... something back to him, and he just started like, yeah, rah, yeah. Rah, 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 and I was like, yeah, yeah, I will yeah. never talk to that. I, w- I don't know if <laughs> yeah, this is a joke yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to wake up the thing that's inside of them that's not nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, we all have it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Unfortunately, mine is just right there below the surface. Um, who's someone you will not interview on WTF? That I won't like. Is everything fair game? Are you people like? Uh... No, there's a lot of people that I I just don't like. You know, because I don't like them. You mean or because no, just like just like you're like. Like well, no. it, it's really like because people ask me all the time. And, like, what's the criteria? Maybe is the better question. Well, well, I, I mean that I like them and that you know I think that you know they'd be fun to talk to or they have a great story. You, you, you know, like uh, like Dean Delray was a guy that pestered me. You know, for a long time to put him on. Like, you know, how about a new guy? And I'm like, Ugh, this guy's annoying. Then I'd see him around. I'm like, what, what are you? <laughs> you know, what's with the motorcycle jacket? And then you're like, oh, he rides a motorcycle. And you're like, oh, he's a real motorcycle rider. But then Kevin Christie was like, you know, you got to interview him. And he's like got a crazy story. And I'm like, all right. And yeah. he turned out to be like this bizarrely entertaining. Oh, I listened to it on this treadmill yeah. with an iPad up going yeah. through the art that he mentioned that I should look at. Right. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, this guy, and I was like, man, I, in my head, I'm like, how do I get him to make a shirt for me or something? Right. Yeah. Like, oh, Dean like, Delray, or, or are you talking about uh, Cooper? Coop. Christie. Christy. Oh, Kevin Christie. Yeah, right. Chris oh, Christy. you didn't know him. No, no, I knew him. I knew him, but I, you know, it's like, I'm so fucking self-centered that I, sometimes I meet people and I don't even, like, I, maybe it's, I'm insecure is what it is, is like, I'll meet them and I'll just go, hey, how you doing, man? And then be nice, but then right. I won't invest any time to go, hey, tell me about yourself. You know, like, I just go, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm. I'm kind of closed off. Although I seem nice and friendly, I, I don't really take the step to become friends with someone. Right? Like I'm, I'm not. I, my wife says it's intimacy issues. But I'd known Kevin a few. It's hard as you get older to be be friends with guys because what do yeah. you do? It's like, hey, you want to hang out a little bit, or you know, yeah. what are we can do? You can go on a bro date. It's so much easier to fuck somebody. Like to have sex, put yeah. your dick inside a body, yeah. Than to make friends, yeah. You're like you want to go to the movies? Well, yeah, because it's a well, that's a girl. I'm assuming you're talking about or a woman. dudes. Yeah, it's actually easier with dudes, I think, to put their your dick in them. I think so. No, I know, but I'm not. Oh, like, I've seen the movies. I'm not looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you, you kind of think like you know, especially when you get into a couple situation, because then you're sort of like, let's well, maybe we can find some other couples. But I, yeah. you know, right now, like I'm not. 
I don't go out that much and I don't hang out with that many people. You, know, you got a few guys you hang out with occasionally. But now I got a chick who was like, you know, she doesn't have that many friends either and she doesn't really want to go out that much. So I'm like, we're never leaving. Oh, we're never. So <laughs> we're never fucking great. Because I've been married. The other two is sort of like, then you got to find couple friends and you got to do that thing. Yeah. You know, which is weird. You know, but it's the way it works. Yeah. But making dude friends later on in life, I mean, and also you don't have a lot of time. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. But I've made a few over the. But Christy. Like, I've known him a while. You know, he's a friend of Madrigal's, and we used to, you know, I'd see him at the comedy store, and he's a funny comedian, but, you know, he's just this extremely talented artist guy. And, you know, and, you know, I didn't have him on early on, but it, that was a great episode. You know, and because really of the good. horrible stuff that happened with his dad and everything, you, you know, and, and I got to know him a little bit, and I was, I, it's a world I don't know about illustration, and, you know, and, and, you know, he's a good painter, and, and that whole process of becoming that and having that dream, and then doing comedy, and then, you know, sort of lucking into, you know, commercial career. Yeah. yeah so I, I'm also interested in creative people's, you know, career trajectories, but also what brought them to where they are. I mean, I think that's good stuff. But there are people that I, I, I don't have on. Because I that, that want to do the show, just because I don't know where I'm going to go with them. How long? But I generally don't have time. I don't have problem, you know, filling the time. But you don't ever want to be in a situation where you you want to get an hour. Yeah. I want to get a full show, and it'd be good if there's some sort of arc in it. You know, that something happens, or if if not that, it's incredibly entertaining all the way through. So there are people that I'm like, I don't think I can get past forty with that guy. Do you think you'd ever have one of your ex wives? I don't know that they would do it. Yeah, I don't know. The first one has any reason to. Uh, Do you speak to your first wife, ex-wife? I've seen her uh, a couple of times, you know, because you know there's still family connections. Her, she was my brother's now ex-wife's best friend, so there have been family events where my brother's kids have gotten bat mitzvah or stuff where she's going to go. Yeah, and she wants to early on. She, you know, with the first event like that, you know, she asked me out to coffee and said, "Well, I just don't want it to be weird between us because no reason for it to be weird between." Us. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I've seen her at a couple of times. She doesn't live that far from me. But the second one, I mean, fuck. Yeah, I mean, the last thing, she, for any number of reasons, there's no way she would ever engage. She, she specifically, because she doesn't want to be identified with me at all, ever. Uh, she doesn't want to, you know, barely acknowledge that she was, you know, she kind of looks as our, at our marriage, I think, as this mistake she made. You know, like, that was a thing I, yeah. Like, anytime it's framed publicly, it's always like, briefly married to comedian Mark Mar Like, it's, you know, to her, it was like, this transition, this, this, this that's fluke. interesting. Uh, and like, and since I wrote the book, I don't know that either of them would necessarily have any reason to talk to me. I didn't, I didn't slander them, but I talked about the marriages and I, and you know, I don't think that, that Mishna certainly wanted to, you know, cause I mean, this is a woman now that she's married to a, by the way, this is the first time I've ever heard, heard you say her name. Oh really? I, and I, I mean, I've known who you talked about this whole time always, but I've never heard you say her name. And I've always wondered, you know, Rogan doesn't say his wife's name. I, I like Don't I always say, I was, the, well he's married to her yeah he's married but he never yeah. says his wife he always calls her Mrs. Rogan and and like everyone's always been yeah but, it, but like a lot of people don't talk about their exes or anything they go yeah the ex or whatever and I've known who you talked about but I've always wondered I've always wondered if you st stayed away from talking about her because of that but you wrote the book I mean obviously yeah and I used her name in the book but I you know in my mind I still let her off the hook a little bit. You know, I, I, I certainly make myself, I just, you know, I can only do my side of what happened and my experience of what happened. And, um, you know, when you don't have kids with somebody, there's really no reason to interact with them anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't end well and it ended horribly and it, and it was prolonged. And, you know, there's still anger, I think, in me about 
the way the divorce was handled and the, yeah. the sort of the injustice of it. Though, as time goes on, I realize, you know, on some level why things happen. But, uh, but no, she married a very well-off dude, and I think she just had a, a second kid. And I, you know, quite honestly, dude, I've never run into her, ever. Really? Ever. Not since, you know, before we got, the, before the divorce was finalized. Really? I've not run into her, and she lives here somewhere. And um, I haven't run into her either. Well, I think she's. I ran into her twice when she was married to you. Right. I think it's she's living in some pretty rare air. I think. Uh, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're they're, they're way up there. Now, how, did you? Uh, how, like, I'm writing a book right now, and I'm fucking losing my mind. Yeah. Did you enjoy writing your book? It, the I my problem is like I have friends who are real writers, and like I never really wanted to you know, assume like it'd be like somebody who well, I heard does you comedy kind of. I heard you say that Sedaris. Yeah, that's got to be. Oh, when he when he liked the book, it was oh. very flattering. Because I know, like I do know that when I set my mind to it, I have a voice on paper. Mm. And with my book, I didn't want to write just a straight up memoir because I did that once before, and I thought that book came out pretty good. But it almost the Jerusalem killed me. System. Yeah, so, 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 Jerusalem syndrome. syndrome. Like I'm proud of that book, and I'm very proud of the chapter about the comedy store and the angle of it. But it took a lot out of me, and I still like like I. I like to keep things succinct. Like I don't want to. Like if you left to my own devices, like I can get very lyrical and very poetic and very sort of dramatic and and heavy. But I think I know how to to get feelings out on a page, yeah. and I think it looks good and and it, it's good to read. But I'm still I don't consider myself a writer, and a, a book is sort of like having an incomplete in college. Like you're sort of like oh. You wake up every day and you're like, oh my God. Oh, that is the fucking best way to describe that. It is like, it is exactly like that. You never wake up going, like, even when you turn in your first draft, you're like, you're like, finally. And then, and then I got an email today and it was like, I understand you're interviewing um, Mark Maron. You think he could write a blurb for the back of your book? Sure. And I was like, oh, fuck. It never ends. Like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, like, I'm like, 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 you're right. And then once you, then, uh, then I got the note, like, I thought I was done, and then they were like, "They're like, it's a, it's not, you gotta, I, we need you to go through and punch it up." I can't. I'm, I'm not a good. Really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, because it's, I, I just obviously, I'm. You, you, I think anyone listening to this knows me, and I'm not. I was not much of a student, so the concept of writing a book. They were like, "Do you want to get a ghostwriter?" I was like, "Fuck no!" And then they were like, right. "Great, take half the money and write it yourself." And so I was like, "Great." So I did, and uh, and I. I pit myself as a Ernest Hemingway and succinctness, telling the story, right? Just telling the great story, try right. to make it great, right? Try to give yourself the the plane crash moment, the like put the like I like and so uh, so I did it, and they were like, now you're a comic, go through and punch it up, and I was right. like, because they're like, there's times where you do punch it up, stories where you have punched it up, and right? There's stories where you haven't, so now I'm going through this fucking beast of a f- and i can't oh it's driving me nuts yeah i i didn't like my experience was like you know i was very busy and i knew that i had a lot of st- stuff to write about and you, you know and i also had you know, like transcripts uh, a fan of mine kind of obsessively well she sort of stopped <laughs> but but she would transcribe every monologue from my show so I had thousands of pages of me talking about my life. Oh, so I wow. sort of used that as sort of an encyclopedia to figure out which ones to, you know, to flesh out. But also like, you know, sitting down and writing, once I'm in it, like I really find that you know, sort of problem solving and moving stuff around the page is very compelling to me, but it like it's a real chore for me to to sit down and do it. So I chose to do essays over 
like a full-on memoir just because like I, you know an essay is compartmentalized like there's a beginning middle and end and it's like it's a short piece mm-hmm. so it was more it, i was more able to manage that so but when i first got the deal and i started writing you know i sent the first essay to my editor and it was it was heavy hearted and a little overly written but you know he sends it back with notes like a lot of notes and i'm like oh i got to see you know, like, I can't, you yeah, know, like, yeah. like, oh, my God, I can't. And I realized, like, my confidence around writing cannot handle this process. So I basically said, all right, uh, I get it. I see what you're saying, and I'm not going to talk to you for a year. So, like, <laughs> so, so basically I didn't really engage my editor at all other than, like, oh, yeah, it's going good. And <laughs> on my deadline, they wanted, like, 60,000 words. I gave them 90, and I said, now you do your job. Let's yeah. make a book out of this. <clears throat> and he was great. You know, like I said, I'm not that attached to a lot of this. Uh, I want to make the best book possible, and I need you to fucking show up for work here. And he did. And, you know, a lot of them are poignant. A lot of them are touching. I didn't focus on hilarity, but there are some uh, bits in there that are strict, straight up funny. All of them have comedic elements, but some of them are, are there, there's a depth to them that yeah. I wanted. And I think it came out great. That's- I mean, I, I, I was happy with it, but my process was not every day sitting down to write. I did that with the first book and it was, you know, it was brutal. I, I, I don't, I don't love it. You know, I like people, when I got this deal, I was like, I pitched the book before the podcast, you know, really took off. Cause I had a book agent. And I'm like, I needed to do something. I'm like, I'm going to need money eventually. Maybe I can. Yeah. So I pitched this book and, and, and then, you, you know, when the podcast took off, we sort of took it around and there was more attention on me and, you know, I was able to make a, a good deal. So I, I, I didn't want to write it that badly. But, you know, once the deal is like, well, I, I'll, shit, yeah, I'll write for that. Yeah. I'll write for that amount of money. <laughs> no, and no, and I, I was happy with the book. And I was, you know, I think I got a lot of stuff out and people are reading it and they read it quickly. It's, it's, it's easy to read, but it's, it's got some meat to it. And people are really having a good experience with it. Like, well, you know, you, the, you're an artist that, uh, that has a intense connection with your fans. Like the people that. Are the, and and I will include myself in the fans in that in that I I get excited when I see your po- new podcast come out I get excited it's so funny I don't even know what days your new podcast drop right, right. because I and, but I get so frustrated when I drop mine on like a Wednesday and I go how come not everyone's going and getting it that day they don't fucking know but it's a uh, <clears throat> but it, it, so so you, but you do have that kind of connection and I think you know now when in your I, I so funny because as as you're saying this I was like. I've always been thinking I'm so overwhelmed, like I'm so busy, no one knows how it feels, and then I went, oh shit, not only do you have a more successful TV show, more successful podcast, more successful book, like more successful stand-up, and I was like, holy shit, how the fuck did you do a book, a TV show, a podcast, and the road? I don't know. You know, it was crazy. It was like, you know, there was definitely, like there some part of me knew the only thing that that like I got was very overwhelmed, and uh, and I and it was completely crazy. And there were times where I'm like, I can't, yeah, I don't know if I can handle this. Like there were really times where I'm like, I'm coming unglued because, and even throughout the publicity for all those things. But like I knew that this is it's going to end, and I also knew that like, well, this is my window. So, so like, you were trying to take deep breaths and enjoy. Well, it, well, no, not enjoy, just show up for work. It's sort of like what well, you've wanted to work all this time. Here's your work. Yeah. You know, do your work. Yeah. So in my mind, you're like, what am I going to sit there and complain? Like, I got so much to do. It's like, you fucking idiot. You spent 15 years of your life wandering around with a notebook. You know, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> I 
such a great way to put it. You know what I mean? What does a comic do? You spend 15 years of your life sitting at coffee shops with a notebook waiting for this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're prepared now. Yeah. I mean, and I've been, I've been, I've had a lot of opportunities, but like I knew, I was very conscious that just from watching other people's careers and whatever, like you're going to have this window where, you know, you got to work and you got to do everything you can because that might be it. So, you know, if you're if, if all these opportunities are happening at the same time, you know, do whatever is necessary to show up for them and get them done as best as you can and then do whatever you need to do to promote them and whatever. But this is the work. This is not the time to go. Uh, yeah, fuck that. I'm not you know, that's, yeah. I'm too busy to do that. Just fucking try and do it because now it's all settled down. You know, now I'm like I'm completely drained. I've got a book out there. I've got my show on the air. I've got a special I just taped. And, and so, like, I'm tapped. So now it's sort of like I, I gotta put in at the store, you know. <laughs> I gotta, you know what I mean? Like yeah. now I gotta start from scratch. Everything's out there. Yeah. Like you know what? Now I gotta you know, re-enter life somehow. So I proposed to my girlfriend on Monday. So now the new. Shut so now up. hopefully that'll bring some stories. Oh, shut up! What yeah. was the last vacation you took? I don't know how to do that. We went to uh, you know we went to Hawaii last year for a week. Or 11 days, which was about three days too long. I mean, what, what ultimately do you do? You know, I'm not sure how to take vacations. Like, you know, it was nice, and I went to the beach and stuff, and I tried to detach from things. But eventually, you start to realize, like, we don't live here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, what, what, am I really relaxing? I don't know. <laughs> you know Matt Frost? Yeah. Frosty and I went to Hawaii a long time ago for, like, and he was like, I'm taking 11 days, 10 days, and, like, four days in. He goes, I feel like I should get a job. Like... <laughs> Do you think they're hiring? <laughs> like, I feel like I'm, I'm just gonna look fucking, at the paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, uh, but I felt the exact same way. So you proposed. Congratulations. Yeah. When you guys, you guys think you're gonna have kids? No, I mean that's the plan. Oh. I'm fucking gonna be fifty, but like, uh, look, she's thirty and she wants kids, and I somehow couldn't figure out how to do that. I, I have a, a lot of fear around it. I have a lot of fear around adult things. But I really think I would I would be a good father, and I think I could have the love. I'm a little frightened about the age thing, but a lot of people are like, you know what? Because you, know, what? you start to get to a point, it's like somehow I never thought about it. Like I, I'm just selfish, and, and I don't know if it's the way I was brought up, but it was never – like not once in my life was having a family part of my plan. Really? Yeah, I didn't have much of a plan. Oh, it was my game plan since day one. Same with my brother. I just, you know, I and mean, people are like that, and it makes yeah. sense to me. It seems to be what people do. Yeah, they, I'm an anomaly. I'm not like, you know, why is everyone doing that? You know yeah. what I mean? I knew why people did it, but I, you know, I didn't know how it was done. I didn't know how, because I'm not, it, it's taken me a long time to, to sort of connect with, uh, you know, being truly empathetic or being able to be selfless without it being threatening somehow. You know, I, I had to learn and grow a lot as a person before I could understand or accept that stuff. And, but I, I believe we we are going to do it, and um, and I just I mean people do it all the time. I mean that's like because in my mind it's like is the house going to be okay? Do we have enough money? And like and then you realize like I can walk down my block and there are people with nothing who have four kids, nothing, <laughs> and nothing. They, there are people, and they don't even think twice about it. it I, seems. I'm consistently blown away by like how like I was like I don't know if I'm ready financially to have kids. Like cause I had them when I was do, I was seven hundred dollar a weekend. Uh, feature act right and i was like i was like this is a bad idea and then i remember being 
when we had the kid, there were, I remember seeing other dads. There's one dad with a big uh, fuck the world tattoo on his throat. Yeah. And I went, oh, if he can do this, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. have that fucking throat tattoo. You figure out a way. But I have a very panicky kind of like, you know, if I think too far ahead, it's never, it's always going to, the, 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 the feeling I get when I do that is never like, oh, that's going to be great. It's always like, I'm fucked. I mean, there's no yeah. way I can. <laughs> Yeah, just you got to look at having kids like the same way you do sobriety. Yeah, one day at a time. I guess so. I mean, I I, guess so. Yeah, because like I look at like I look at never drinking again as something insurmountable. I go, I could never not ever have a beer. Right. But I've always I've always been able to stop drinking if I just go. Yeah, I'm just not going to drink tonight. Tonight, I give myself a break, and then what happens? I feel good. I don't want to drink the next night. Right, and then it just becomes a habit of just not drinking because you feel good. Yeah, how long has that lasted? Oh, I've never uh, the longest. (laughs) The longest, really, honestly, the longest I've had in a long time is about 17 days. Yeah, and I was like, and I was doing a cleanse, lost 40 pounds. I felt great. My kids started going, Dad, you seem really relaxed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, time to fuck this up. (laughs) 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 Got to get back to the old me. Now, if you could, yeah, if you could. All the same money, you, you, uh, we turn into a communist state. Everyone gets you get to pick based on your skill set. They go, we're going to give you ten million dollars, but you can only do one: your podcast, stand up, write books, or your TV show. What would you do? You can only do one. Um, and then I'll tell you what the right answer is. Oh, you know the right answer? <laughs> no, no, but no, but I can tell you which one I at this yeah. age. Yeah, right now, right now. Uh, the TV show I have now. TV show you have now. Wait, but I get the ten million. You get ten million, and a year, a year. You just got to, you just got to commit to one for the rest of your life. You can only do one. Oh, I think it would have to be stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the, the stand up thing, like as much as I like talking to other people, um, you you know, and, and learning things, like I could still do that, but not as a job. You're telling me, so you know what I mean, like. Yeah. Like I could build my life out in a certain way. I think the stand-up keeps me connected, and it keeps me, you know, con- you know, whether I like it at times or not, or whether I'm up against a wall with things, you know, it forces me to be creative and think things through differently and, and process stuff uh, more than the other stuff does. Yeah. You know, the TV show. Well, I mean, for ten million dollars a year, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question because I see them as all sort of part of the same thing. But writing books wouldn't be on there. But it would be, yeah. and and the podcast. I was making ten million though. There's still something about being on stage, not knowing what's going to happen, and it's, having something happen. It's the greatest. Yeah. There's no better feeling like that. And I, I feel like you know those people who who write blogs and complain about when a comic maybe took a misstep and and, and said something like Tosh, yeah. where he, where they yeah. believe that that was inappropriate. I go, but yeah, but you don't know how many times. You got to fail in order to get the one great one, the one time. Right, right. Like someone was telling me, Stanhope. Stanhope has a podcast now. Yeah. And I listened to uh, one, and it was the Miller Brothers, or not the Miller Brothers, the uh, God damn it, the Dorfman Brothers. Yeah. Uh, who owns Zanies? And, yeah. and and one of the Dorfman Brothers said one of his favorite comeback lines that he had to uh, deal with. For the next hour, because this woman complained, is Doug was making fun of the Bible, and this woman said, "You don't, you don't know nothing about the Bible." And Doug said, "Ma'am, I read the Bible billboard by billboard driving in here." <laughs> and she apparently fucking, but he goes, "That was my favorite line ever." Yeah, but you know, and you know, Doug has no commitment to what he's like to, to like hurting someone, like yeah. losing a crowd, right? But like, like those moments, those those spontaneous moments where you have something real in the moment that happens, and you catch it, and you almost feel like a fucking superhuman. Well, that that's for me. Those are the best moments, and like now, 
like I crave like like I don't like doing crowd work per se mm-hmm. but like the other night like if I can get like I can't always fuel improvisation with my own head but like the other night I was at the ice house trying to work on some stuff and I literally you know had you know the audience like do you do you have anything you're curious about can we start a conversation yeah and some guy you know brought up uh like he had met me when he was in college and you know he was email he was emailing me because he wanted to do stand-up and i engaged with him it was a pretty dark part of my life and uh at the time and i you know i told him the the, the pros and cons and and whatnot of 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 you know what, what life being a comic was and and he chose not not to do comedy and i go well what did you do and he goes, well, I'm a, a private investor or something like that. And I'm like, so you, you did fine. You did fine. And I yeah. said, so now you're thinking about doing comedy? He goes, yeah, kind of. I'm like, he goes, should I? I'm like, no, you can't. You can't do it. I mean, you can't. No, you, there's, there's no risk anymore for you. Yeah. I mean, you, what, you want to do it to get out of your system? Fine. You can do that. But you can't pursue a career in comedy. Now it's yeah. not allowed. Because what do you, where's the risk to that? So you're going to have a bad set and say like, well, that was bad, but I'm going to go home and have a swim. Yeah. <laughs> Swim. Right. Where did that come from? Yeah. So like you I'm know. gonna go home and have a swim. What a great fucking line. I'm gonna go home and so something comic can't do. Yeah. I'm gonna go home and have a swim. Yeah. And I was like, that wouldn't have never happened if I hadn't engaged them. And there was some weird like I've been trying to really push myself in terms of improvising uh, like in character, like just inventing characters on the fly, like yeah. this belt buckle. I was on stage in Indiana, and I'm like, I don't even know where this came from. It was it, like I remember it from when I was in junior high. So this belt buckle was around. You know, my parents, someone bought it like in the '70s. You know, and then I went off on this riff, and I just played the character of the of the son of the guy who made this belt buckle. It's like, yeah, my dad. You know, he was. Uh, you know, he got him like he was. You know, he did some work with um, casting. He made some belt buckles and some pipes, and then like you know, there was the accident when they were he was making meth and like yeah. I, I did like, and I did this whole riff about this guy who made belt buckles but blew up in a crystal meth explosion with some bikers, yeah. and then the son going like, yeah, and all I got was this belt buckle. All that was left, no, I said, all that was left was a was a, a belt buckle and his wallet chain. Yeah. <laughs> After the explosion, those are the best moments when you when you can almost feel the um the the t- you can feel time slow, like I, like and and you start and you know the audience is in it and yeah. they're listening and yeah. it's almost like you're you're drawing all the right lines but real slow and you're like yeah like I you're I, in a groove yeah. and it's all happening right then and you don't know really what the next moment is going to have but you trust yourself as a comedian finally to where you're just going to keep riding it and you just ride it until like it's almost sad when you have to disengage from it where you you do that arc of some imp- improvisation yeah. and and then you're like well you know it's done in your head and you just have to be like wow that was yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to I don't know what we're going to do now. <laughs> I've, I've, it's so funny. I've gotten into a pace where uh, like some of my bigger stories, like the machine story, I've now, I've now probably told fucking thousand times right. on stage. Right. And, uh, and you get to a place where it's, it's a 12-minute story. I've got to tell it like towards the end of my show. And, and, and I understand, and I like telling it, and I'm, yeah. glad, I'm proud to tell it. I'm happy to tell it. Yeah. But it's like you get into rote. You get into yeah, this yeah, point yeah, where like yeah, when yeah, I was 22, yeah, I got Bob of the Russian Mafia. Yeah, yeah. This is how it happened. Yeah. And so the other day, I was talking to Benson, and I was like, I was like, I was like, he's talking about the Benson eruption. I go, I'd love to do the machine story and the Benson eruption and break it up. 
like fucking see if I can find something that I find interesting in it now. So lately, I've been I've been telling it backwards. I've been telling it in different ways. Yeah, and and, and why I was not? Like, or just yeah. add details that you might not have remembered. Yeah, and I started saying things, and I was like, wow, it's got and it's gotten a lot of fun. Yeah. So it's like it's interesting to say that because I got into this place where I felt like I was. The majority of my stand-up was in rote, and I was like going through it. And I, and for someone, I distinctly know that I'm someone that likes to improv. I like to get, I like for the wheels to come off and see where it goes. Yeah, me too. And like, and I to a fault to it in a sense that like, like I really don't like prepare a set list, and I'm more excited about possibilities of things happening that I don't know what's going to happen. But I think that having an act and committing to the act you know, is what makes you more consistent. And it's also, I think in some ways what makes you more popular, because if you are going to say like, well, I hope that something happens where I can, you know, just go off road for as long as possible. That isn't crowd work, but honestly something happening in the moment with you that, you know, it's not as consistent as doing other things, but in terms of the thrill of, of sort of taking, you know, all this time that we've taken to become comics and trusting yourself enough to do that is much is the m- most thrilling thing that we can do. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times, you know, people yeah, you know, they'll like it and that but they don't really know that they just witnessed something like that was that was fucking amazing. I remember watching Chappelle when I worked at the, the door at the Boston Comedy Club and I watched him I remember watching him come in and just riff. I remember him being so drunk he didn't even know what he was saying. Yeah. He made a joke about them making uh ch- ch- uh they market stuff to black people and he goes, I don't know why they don't just make Fried chicken flavored cigarettes, right? And it got like it was. You could tell it was in the moment. It was like it was. You were really watching him kind of weave yeah. his way through it. And then at the end of the set, some he asked for a cigarette from the guy from the front row, a white dude, a stockbroker, and the white guy goes, "They're uh, fried chicken flavored." Yeah. And Chappelle had forgot he had said yeah, that. Yeah. And he got pissed and started, and the fight broke out. Yeah. Really? <laughs> F- fucking full on fist That's fight broke sad. out. <laughs> I never, never forget Godfrey had to come in and Godfrey was stone sober. He knew both sides of the argument. He right. was like trying to stop Dave and then oh, Dave wow. had some friends that were trying to get into it. It was a fucking. That place was a, a hell of a. I threw a drink at a guy in that place. Seriously? Just dumped a drink right in his fucking lap because <laughs> he's being a dick. And there's only like four or six people in that place. That's how I learned. Jason Steinberg was like, oh, now we got to. He always always like. And now, it, and now there's a problem because there's never, there's hardly ever people there. You know? <sighs> I had to bring in, I had to bring in people to the to get stage time. It's fucking hardest. And then stage time. That's how I got. That's how I learned how to do stand up. Is in that fucking godforsaken club. But also like those moments, like where things where shit goes down, where like you know in my life I just remember them. You, you know, like where like as a comic, you know, it's my point of view that. You have to learn how to do crowd work. You yes. can't like there's, there are comics that are petrified of it and don't know how to engage it. But if you don't have that skill in your your quill or whatever the hell you're you're, you're if you don't have that as a tool, you know, it's going to be it's going to be shitty for you, uh, you know, in the sense that, you know, I don't think that a comic should do crowd work, you know, as you know, as an act. As an act yeah. But I mean, if you don't know how to do it, if you're not comfortable doing it. You're fucked. You're in trouble. And you have to be able to, you know, if, if the crowd gets the best of you, then that's the way it's going to be. You're going to have to shrug that off, too. Like, if they win, they win. Yeah. You know, I remember, like, really early on, like, you know, I was at a club. I was I, maybe an opener, maybe a feature, but I, I went to the bathroom. And I needed to take a shit. And someone had pissed all over the fucking seat. And I was pissed about it, right? So I got up on stage, and I thought it would be funny if I just tried to you know, find out by a show of hands who pissed on the seat. <laughs> so I'm like, who the fuck pissed on the seat in there? One of you fuckers pissed on the seat in there. 
You know, and I thought yeah. that was hilarious. But some guy goes, why, did you sit in it? And I'm like, oh, he won. You know, I, like, that was my mistake. And I, I hadn't really thought that all the way through. And <laughs> seen where that was going to end yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you just got to give it to him. You know, and there's been other moments like that where, you know, someone tags something in the audience where it's just sort of like, and if all the audience laughs, I'm the kind of guy where people like to see taken down a notch sometimes, you yeah. know, depending on my attitude, because yeah. I'm sort of cocky. And they're like, if I get, and I, I've learned to really embrace that. I mean, sure, do it. Take me down a notch. It's going to hurt a little bit, but, yeah. uh, but I think it's worth it, you know, because it's so fucking bonding. Like I had a thing with uh, Kumail on Doug Love's movies recently that just got way out of hand. I, he just gets under my skin and I just started <laughs> shitting on him right away. And up. yeah, and he kind of handed me my ass, but but Doug got my back, you know, with one of the things, so it worked out okay. And then like you know, and then he got cocky because he's got an ego, and not Doug, but Kumail. Yeah, and it, I wasn't looking good because I was just looking like a bully. And then Kumail, like, you know, he called me out on, you know, like it was one of those numbers where I said I could name something in negative three and Kumail was the next guy to make a choice, you know, and I I'd kind of forgotten how the game worked. Yeah. And I was negative three into the Wizard of Oz, you know, in terms of naming the cast, <laughs> like in order, yeah. you know, yeah, you got to yeah, name yeah. them in order. You're like, and it gets a little tricky after Judy Garland. So <laughs> Bert Lar. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was the thing. I only noticed my name is Bert. <laughs> Well, Kumail goes, all right, you name that in three. And he thought he had, like, this was going to fucking nail me. Like, not only was I bully, and he sort of handed me my ass, but now he was really going to bury me by telling me to name it negative three. So I go, Judy Garland. And then I said, um, uh, it, uh, it was not, uh, what? Oh, fuck. Um, oh, I said, Judy Garland, Ray Bolger. Right, yeah, and yeah. Then I knew it had to be what Jack Paley Jr. Burt Lar, and I like, but I knew those names. I wasn't even sure if Paley's first name is Jack, but he played the Tin Man. So I'm like Jack Paley, and I go Burt Lar, and I nailed it. And it was like crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And fucking Kumail had to eat that. It was beautiful. <laughs> but I, but I knew I wasn't looking good. I guess the point of this is, is you gotta. You, sometimes you just gotta take a hit. But like, in being on stage, there was a time where there was some dude. I was working a shitty bar in a basement in Boston, of all places. And I'm on stage, and this is like right way at the beginning, beginning of my career. And some dude walks by to the bathroom. He's big old fucking dude, and he's wearing a cowboy hat. And I'm like, nice hat, dude. And like I start to do my act. The next thing I know, he's on stage, just standing there, like he's gonna kick my ass. Like like he was drunk enough, and I didn't even see him get out and come around. But he just, you know, I fucking shit on him, and now he's in my, he's on stage, standing there looking at me in front of a full house of people and i'm like do you want to tell a joke and he's like yeah and i just handed him the mic and just let him eat a fucking turd oh and he went away and i'm like i think i dodged a bullet there and won yeah (laughs) (laughs) you almost want to snap your hands and scene yeah (laughs) you got a roll no i don't know if i do oh well pretty soon where where are we at um we're i mean we're at uh, an hour nine. Are you good with it? I'm always good. What, what question? What question uh, do you, would you ask yourself on WTF? Um, like if you were interviewing you, have you ever thought about interviewing you? No, I've had. You should totally interview you. You should do. I did that. They, they had me do. Who did that? Uh, GQ or somebody had me do a piece on me and interview really? me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I it's sad because like, like I, I, the stories that I that like, I, I think listening to. 
you know, you and Joe's podcast kind of are the are the only reason I'm doing a podcast because I was yeah. like, I really enjoyed them so much, and I would listen to them on the road. Yeah, and yours were, you know, I was I I think I told someone this. Um, I forget the analogy I used. The difference between your doing yours and doing Joe's, but like I Joe's were the were like these three hour events yeah. that you could literally put on a bed, fall asleep, wake up, cat rewind. Yeah. And yours were ones I'd listen to on a plane where I'd be like, "Ah, oh, shit, I wanted to like it's, it's totally completely different." Yeah. And I was like, and I always wanted to split the difference, but I, it was like the the oh my god, I heard you on NPR this morning. That fucking patent troll shit. Yeah, yeah. What'd they play on that? They bought the Planet Money thing? Yeah, they, How they, they sound, all right? It's, well, it's funny because I walked in and I heard your voice. I went, there's no way. Yeah, yeah. And then I leaned closer and I was listening to it right before drop-off. Yeah. That fucking patent troll sounds so ridiculous. It's fucking... It's it's just scary that it, it, they can do that thought, but it, legally. They, even in saying that, they were like, yeah, this is... He didn't invent any of the things. He just had the idea. Yeah. So I was like, huh, I'm going to go fucking sit down with a pen and paper and try to patent a bunch of shit that might happen in the future. Yeah, it's just scary when you realize, like, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere, some guy can potentially, you know, destroy your livelihood or destroy, you know, what you're doing, you know, in a predatory, almost fucking mafia-like way. And, you know, what's the recourse? The recourse is a fortune, and, and that's why they do it. That it's this these completely predatory, conscienceless assholes that can just destroy your life out of left field. Like I had no idea what that shit was, and it's so wrong. It, and, it, it and, seemed and it seemed so baseless. Scary. Yeah, but it's it's baseless. But because of the 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 sort of the the patent um, office is is archaic and understaffed, and these kind of douchebags have found this weird loophole. To do this with the support of the patent office and the courts that, you know, but what they're banking on is that guys like me can't afford to defend ourselves. So we're just going to pay them so they don't bother us anymore. So what would that would that would that end podcasting altogether? No, it it wouldn't end it. But, you know, but we'd all have to be afraid of when that's going to happen. And it's like, look, I think that if there was some established licensing fee, you know, done through a company of some kind that not unlike paying for texting or whatever, you know, that's like, well, you know, podcasting costs, you know, $100 a year. Okay. Yeah, yeah I can do that once a year. That fits into my budget. Yeah. But these guys aren't telling you what, they, what the licensing fee is because they don't give a fuck. What they want to do is make as much money as possible over, from people they think are high profile. Some of the people that they, they have on their list make no money. And, and they don't give you a number. They want to engage you so then you're locked in because that means you've responded and then they want to, like, you know, I think Ira Glass used a piece of it on, on This American Life where he goes, well, what is the licensing fee? Because I said in that interview, I said, what, how much does it cost? What are you asking for? Yeah. It, you know, if this is your business model, what's your licensing fee to do what I do? And they won't give that to you because they basically want to get you on the line and go, what do you got? It's like the guy that wanted to fix my fucking treadmill. He goes, uh, he goes, I think you need a new belt. How long have you had the belt? And I said, well, how long do they last? He goes, how long have you had it? Yeah. I go, I've had it seven years. He goes, he goes about seven, yeah, five yeah. or seven. Right. And you're like, I, I, w- I want your answer first. So then I asked him again, I go, how long are these supposed to last? And he goes, well, how long have you had the treadmill? I go, you tell me your answer first, then I'll tell you my answer. Right. And he said my, his answer. I go, well, I haven't had it that long. Fuck you. Well, I imagine that they have a number that they're looking for, but it's, in, it's irrational. It's impractical. And it's not, it's not a business. It's a shakedown. They have figured out a way to legally extort money from people you know, based on math problems that were patented years ago. And then they reframe it and then retrofit it onto anything, anything. It's just this, the software, you know, patenting software is dicey. 
because like especially if you can just go well we can like take this patent and and then reestablish it to fit into technology like they asked the guy who's uh, you know invented it like i don't know what a podcast is he said yeah he said yeah, he goes this is based done. on audio tapes on Fucking, yeah. audio tape like tapes right and I, and I, it just it, it absolutely made no sense to me. And it's I, it, fucking criminal. It, and, it, it, it's 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 sad to me because you know I don't it, for especially for a person who's never even fucking listened to a podcast. The amount of joy I derive out of like get getting on the treadmill and putting on podcasts on right. on Apple to iTunes yeah. or on Apple TV yeah. and just chilling. I don't yeah. need any video. I turn the lights off in the man cave and I'm fucking and I eavesdrop on a conversation it's yeah. the greatest yeah and and it's like this the, the thing that it's got nothing to do with podcasting they're just trying the patent trolls have been shaking down fucking tech companies for years to the tune of you know billion you know millions and millions of dollars because these small companies and the patent system was you know designed to encourage uh, uh creativity you know that's why there's a statute of limitations on a patent it's like yeah you should cash in a little bit but then after a certain number of years it re-enters the system and then you know people can build on your idea yeah. and make new things but these guys have figured out a way to you know time it out you know extend the the, the 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 situation as long as possible and then you know and then shake people it's like i and i don't even know the uh the details of how it works because it's legalese but yeah. you know they can they can do this legally the best part of that whole patent troll story was i heard backhand that you guys had a secret Batcave meeting, the yeah, top yeah, yeah. podcasters in the yeah. world. How fucking badass well, was that? Well, it wasn't that? a top podcaster. It was like me, you know, when I got this letter and they, and then when I saw that Corolla got sued, I'm like, well, you know, we've all, you know, we got to talk to Adam and figure out what the hell is going on and what we're supposed to do and somehow get a unified front around this uh, and try to, you know, at least look like a community, yeah. which we are, but, you know, we're all rogues. So we don't have like a business. There's no you know chamber of commerce for podcasting or yeah. no, you know business uh, uh, association for us. So I just said, well, who are the guys I know? You know, maybe I can get about a dozen of us and, and we'll go over to and talk to Adam. Yeah, you know that was what that was. <laughs> what to be a fly on the wall there? <laughs> well, it was you know well, I got everybody together and he said we could come to his house and then we all sat down and Adam goes, all right, well, what do you, what do you what do you got planned, Marin? And I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what's going on. Yeah. We have to figure out a, a way to handle this together. We have a, we have, we have microphones and we have hundreds of thousands of people that listen. But the scariest thing about this situation is these patent trolls are obviously not in the business of making friends. Yeah, they don't give a fuck what people think about them. There's no you know like you know a bunch of guys going like these guys are assholes. They clearly don't care about that. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to go. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we're sorry. <laughs> You know, so that's I'm catching a lot of heat on Twitter, guys. It's like, you know, Nazis are bad. You're right, we'll stop. We're done with it. So we'll see what happens. I mean, there have you know, people have taken up the fight and smart people taken up the fight. The president's got involved, you know, because I reached out to him. And uh, I heard that. I heard that on the thing. I went, I was like, wait, did did Barack Obama listen to WTF? How soon until he's on? Yeah. No, but uh, but it's a real issue, and the EFF, the Electronic Frontier uh, Foundation, is has taken on the the task of filing a reexam of the patent, and that means you know we have to find you know they have to find prior art, uh, which is ah look it's a that's Georgia kid. that's she, your kid yeah that's one of them hey the other one will come out here naked in a heartbeat but we're fighting the good fight and we'll see yeah. what happens what's up hey George George is my buddy Mark hi. How's it like? How old are you? You're turning nine. How's it going for for nine? Good or eight? Has eight been good? 
Oh, good. Ask her what she wants for her birthday. What do you want for your birthday? Oh, I, no, Mark doesn't have kids. I'm going to let Mark answer if he thinks that it's appropriate birthday present for a nine-year-old. What, what do you want for your birthday? Is- Georgia. She wants a computer. Of course. You, okay. Looks like someone's going to get a computer for their birthday. <laughs> yeah, she's doing a dance. All right, she- baby. I'll be out in the two sacks, okay? I'll, I will be out there in two minutes, okay? Okay. All right. I'll be in. Yeah, That's well, the you, one you, thing. Yeah, I got you. I got you, baby. What are you doing? Yeah, I got a spin bike yesterday. A spin bike? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. The, someone called me Bertie Gaga. Now all the kids at their school called me Bertie Gaga. Bertie Gaga. Well, you're going to get a computer with nines, right? No? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like a thousand bucks for... A birthday present for a nine-year-old? Well, don't you have an old one you can give her? It's not the way that. it works with kids. Huh? <laughs> they want the they want to see it in the box. They want so I'm well, gonna go. To learn this. Oh, you have no idea. But Wait. you you research it, and that's the cheapest one you can get for. Well, I'm not gonna not get her an apple. Like I'm, right. I'm not gonna you know. So right. I, I'm gonna go over to the store and see what the cheapest one they have is. Right. The I'll tell you right now, the best joy I've ever had in my life is teaching my kids how to ride a bike. It, I'm telling you when I say this, it's one of those moments where you're like, when they get it. Whoa, when and you see it. the pride in their eyes. Yeah, I'm, I will never forget she when she started riding a bike, and I remember her riding, and then looking at me real quick, like a like we need to make like eye I'm contact. She goes, yeah. "I'm that exactly yeah. what she said. I'm doing it, Daddy. Yeah. I'm doing it." And I went, "Fuck! This is everything I fucked up in this fucking kid's life. This is worth it. I did this right. That's it. If you could just oh, yeah. that's great." Well, hey, Mark, I really appreciate you coming over, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was great. Is there a bathroom in this new man Yeah, cage? of course. No, no, no. I got, we got one in the oh, house. I should ask them to put a bathroom on. Yeah. <laughs> See, like, that's all my girlfriend wants. She wants a new house because we only have one bathroom. Yeah, I thought you, guys, I thought you were going to buy a new house. I heard you were going to build one, too. There's no, there is no inventory right now. I know, but in the stuff that's out there is a fortune. I'm having an architect come over tomorrow to really see because, like, if I'm going to spend that much money, I live on a hill. It's yeah. gorgeous up there. I love where you live, right? And and everyone, all these flippers flip these two bedroom bungalows. Yeah, like why? If I, if I'm going to spend another, if I'm going to put that much money into a new house, that much more money, I have a sweet piece of land. What does it cost to build another bedroom and a bathroom? But, oh, you must be talking to my wife. We are in the same spot where she went. We were getting the kitchen and the bathroom redone, and then she was like, "Hold on." She was like, I like where we live. We live by a bunch of shit. We love our neighborhood. This, this, va- the, the, where we're living yeah. is like a little, it is a little village. Yeah. And we fucking love it. And she was like, let's put a second story on. Let's just add right. on to the house. Like, and stay why can't here. you do that? Yeah. Our, our payment's going to stay the same. Right. We just need a little cash to do it. You got to get it. permit stuff. And yeah, it's a yeah. little bit of pain in the ass, but the same dude who did the man cave is going to come back. And I think he's going to put a second story on our house. Really? Same dude. He's great. He's a great guy. I'll set you up with him oh, if you want. There's Leanne. All right. Here we go. All right. Thanks, man. Hey, I appreciate it, Mark. Yeah, yeah. You have anything you want to plug? When is it going on? Uh, like uh, next week, next Wednesday. Uh, um, uh, I know I'm going to be in. I'm going to be in Chicago in August. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.